Good morning. What a morning. Thank you all for coming out in such terrible weather and being here with us this morning to celebrate this advent of joy. Um, I got so excited I got here and forgot my glasses and had to drive all the way back home and all this and get it and then run back and just got here just a few minutes ago. But thank you. Thank you for being here. This week is the advent of joy. And so I chose 1 Peter because in this, we see that in the midst of trials, Peter is telling us that we have reason to still have joy. He talks about in this you rejoice, even though you might be going through trials and testings to test your faith, but you have joy. And I like verse 8. That's what the focus is. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him, you believe in him and what? And rejoice with a joy that is inexpressible or unspeakable. And that's what I want to talk to you about this morning, about this deep, deep joy of Jesus, this unspeakable joy of Jesus. And it's going to seem kind of odd, but we're going to start with first talking about the man of sorrows. It's kind of odd talking about the deep, deep joy, but to really get an idea, we're going to start with the man of sorrows. What a name. Isaiah penned some of the most memorable lines in all the Bible when he prophesied about God's suffering servant. Isaiah 53, 3, he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Now we know from the New Testament and realizing from Isaiah's words 700 years later that this suffering servant was not only the promised Messiah, but God himself, God's own son, coming to rescue his people by receiving in himself the judgments we deserved. How can God himself, the happiest being in the universe, and uh, Pastor Nate says he serves a happy, happy, happy God, and he is, So how can this happiest God in the universe not only become man, but a man of sorrows? And Isaiah tells us in Isaiah 53, verse 4, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Did you hear that? He came to bear our griefs and carry our sorrows. In his mission to save us, he entered not only into our flesh and blood, but into our sorrows and into our griefs. He knows every dark corner of our lives. He knows the sorrows that we go through and the grief we go through. He knows our unjust anger. He knows it all. And yet, nowhere does the New Testament refer to Jesus as a man of sorrows. Yes, he carries our sorrows and he even had his own, but he was so much more than just a man of sorrows. He was a man of something much bigger. He's a man of sorrow sustained by joy. So what is this sustained by joy that we talk about? Well, the first thing, Jesus could not have borne our griefs or carried our sorrows had he not been buoyed up, lifted up 
by something deeper and more enduring. And that's unspeakable joy. Imagine what the emotional strength it must have taken to fulfill the words of Isaiah 50, verse 6. I gave my back to those who strike and my cheeks to those who pull out the beard. I hid not my face from disgrace and spitting. Jesus entire, uh, entered into our sinful environment. He felt our infirmities, making himself able to sympathize with our weaknesses. Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews chapter 4 tells us this, verse 15. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. This man of sorrow was able to bless those who mourn and weep. At the tomb of his friend, this man of sorrow was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. John eleven thirty five 35 tells us that Jesus wept, the shortest verse in the Bible, two words. Then he was deeply moved again, John tells us, in eleven thirty eight. So the question is, how was he sustained in the sorrows that encountered him? Not just in the course of normal human life, but in the unique steps he took as a suffering servant. He had unspeakable joy. Again, First Peter, though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. That's the joy of Jesus Christ. So what is this joy? What is this unspeakable joy? Well, it's a joy that's deep and it's habitual. Now, what do I mean by deep? Well, maybe I can give you an answer uh, by giving you an example of what, what's not deep. You know how we have in the summers 90-some degree weather? The humidity is 80%. Then at about 2 o'clock, a cloud will come over. It'll dump rain. And in five minutes, it's gone. And then what happens? The steam starts coming up. And those puddles, those puddles of water, what do they do? They go away. They evaporate. See, there's no depth in them. When that heat of disappointment and sorrow come, those puddles dry up. When that heat of, of an illness or a sickness that hits the family come, that puddle dries up. When the heat of maybe a broken marriage comes, that puddle dries up. But this joy is deep. It goes deep. It runs deep. It can't dry up by sorrows or disappointments. And then it's habitual. This joy is habitual. That means once you taste it, once you've experienced it, that's the joy, the kind of joy you're going to want over and over and over again. The surprising testimony of the Gospels is that Jesus was a man of unparalleled and unshakable joy. Donald McLeod writes, a joyless life would have been a sinful life. Jesus experienced deep, habitual joy. Not only was the divine Son of God infinitely happy with his Father before and during the creation of the world, but the angels announced his human arrival as good news of what? Great joy. When Jesus came, Warfield writes, as a conqueror with the gladness of the imminent victory in his heart. 
Hebrews 9.1, the writer of Hebrews tells us, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. Even David in Psalm 21 writes about the joy that his great descendant would experience from God, his father. You make him most blessed forever. You make him glad with the joy of your presence. And in Mark chapter 2, 18 through 20, Jesus likened himself to having the joy of a bridegroom. Even his opponents accused him of having too much joy in Luke chapter 7, verse 34. Jesus even taught that joy was essential in receiving his kingdom. Matthew 13, 44, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. We see Jesus' own joy when he makes himself the shepherd in the parable of the lost sheep. What does he do when he finds the sheep? Matthew tells us, truly I say to you, he rejoices over it more than 99 that never went astray. Jesus was full of joy. In Luke 15, when he found it, that's the lost sheep, when he found it, he laid it, lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors saying to them, rejoice with me. For I have found my sheep and was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents and over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Jesus even casts himself as a woman in the parable of the lost coin. Why? So he can show us his joy. Listen, when she found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors saying what? Rejoice with me, for I found the coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Isaiah may talk about a man of sorrow, but the Gospels tell us about a man of unspeakable joy. So, now that we know a little bit about this unspeakable joy, what's the source? Well, it starts with knowing God the Father. Knowing the Father. We, we learn this in, in Luke chapter 17, and we get a double glimpse of this truth. Remember in 17 Luke, Jesus gathers his disciples together, 70-some disciples, and he sends them out, says you will be able to uh, cast out demons and heal and go and spread the gospel, and they come back. And the Bible says that come back with joy, celebrating that even the demons were subject to them in Jesus' name. And Jesus kind of rebukes them. He challenges their source of joy. Listen to what he says in Luke 10, verse 20. Do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. In other words, don't rejoice in the fruits of the ministry that is already yours, but in your Father who has made you. The joy that fed and sustained Jesus himself was not the sermons that he gave, the sick he healed, even the dead he raised, but the relationship that he had with his Father. The source of his joy was not what he did in the world, 
but whose he was, God's son. And this is confirmed in the second glimpse of that verse, uh, of verses 21-22 of Luke 10. And it's conveyed in a prayer that Jesus said. He said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows who the Son is except the Father, or who the Father is except the Son, and anyone who the Son chooses to reveal him. You see, Jesus delights in being a child of his Father. Jesus delights in his childlike dependence upon his Father. John chapter 5, verse 19, he said, Truly I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. And then in John chapter 5, verse 30, Jesus said, I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I seek not my will, but the will of him who sent me. Jesus delights in receiving from his Father, being known by his Father, knowing his Father, and bringing others unto knowing his Father. And that should be us. That's where our joy should be. In receiving from God the Father, in knowing God the Father, in knowing his will, and in bringing others to him. That's true joy. That's unspeakable joy. That's the source of his unspeakable joy. You know, it kind of reminded me um, of my childhood. Now, I was, I, God blessed me before I was, even knew who he was and that he blessed me with a wonderful family. I have uh, two brothers, two sisters, a mother and father. And I can remember as little and us as, as watching, and you ladies probably watched your mothers, you watched them just to study them, two, three, four, five years old, six you watched them consciously, but probably you watched them unconsciously. And you watched what they did and how they did it. My dad, he was, he was kind of a, he could fix things and do things, build. He built us a tent thing out back, and over the summer we, we could sleep out back all summer long when the weather was nice. And so he had cans on, on the workbench. And in these cans would be nails. Only you drive a nail at Ben, he'd pull it out, he'd throw that bent nail in the can, because he might need it later on. And he had nuts and bolts and washers and flat washers and um, lock washers and all and screws, wood screws, metal screws, and he kept them in these cans. Well, you know what I got on my workbench in the garage? Cans of odds and ends, nuts and bolts and screws and nails that I go through, something comes up and I need something, and I say, I need a washer. And I go to that can, dump it out, and I'll find the washer I need. And I, and I just got that from my father. Just subconsciously, I don't remember, just when I started, I got it. That's, that's that relationship of having this unspeakable joy. Psalm 16 Jesus is the living embodiment of Psalm 16. Listen to a part of it. He said, 
I have set the Lord always before me. And you can hear Jesus say this. I, can, I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Unspeakable joy comes one knowing the Father. And then unspeakable joy is accessible. See, he doesn't hide it. We don't have to go and find it. It's accessible. It's set before us. In the garden, the night before Jesus betrayed, he took three of his closest disciples and he went to the garden to, to pray. And he confessed to the Father, he said, My soul is very sorrowful, even unto death. And he even asked the Father if, if any way possible this cup could pass from me, but not my will, thy will be done. Even in the agonies of his, of his betrayal by a friend, denied by a disciple, tried by corrupt rulers, mocked and scourged by God, godless soldiers, and crucified in public, how was he sustained? By unspeakable joy. For the, and, and, and Hebrews tells me this, the writer of Hebrews chapter 12, he tells me this, for the joy that was set before him, endured, he endured the cross. For the joy that was set before him. Did you hear that? Accessible. It kind of reminded me, it made me go back to the 23rd Psalm. I thought of that right away, don't know why. But in the 23rd Psalm it says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Thy rod and thy staff of joy comfort me and then what's the next line thou preparest a table before me and I believe on that table is joy waiting for us to grab how then for those of us who call ourselves children of God Christians sons and daughters of God can joy in God not explode in us? Next thing is, Jesus gives us this joy personally. He wants to give it to us. So we need to listen to him. We need to listen to this man of joy who has a joy so deep and durable that it will send him willingly to the cross. Remember back in Matthew 15, 12, he started out and said, Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. In Luke 6, Jesus says, Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great. And in Luke 10, 20, again, rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Jesus tells us over and over again that we should be a people of rejoicing. And he's no hypocrite when he tells us to rejoice. He is the man of joys, drawing us to himself. He wants to be our joy. He wants to fill us with his joy. You know, they say misery loves company, but the fullness of joy is even more contagious. One of the most astounding claims that Jesus makes 
on the night before he dies is that he will not leave us to the insignificant, insufficient qualities of our own joy. He wants his joy to be ours. The very joy of the Son of God himself poured into our souls. And he says it twice. He tells us this himself. First to his disciples. Look at John 15, verse 11. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you, that your joy may be full. For us to have full joy, it needs to be his joy, that my joy may be in you so that your joy can be full. How attractive his joy must have been to his disciples for him to make this statement. And then second, we see he says this in a prayer to his father in John 17, 13. Now I'm coming to you and these things I speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in them. My joy. John Piper said, Christ not only offers himself as the divine object of my joy, but pours his captivity, his uh, captivity. Captivity of joy into me so that I can enjoy him with the very joy of God. So how does he do it? How does he pour his joy into us? And the answer is through his word. He spoke it in John 15, 11. Again, these things I have spoken. And in John 17, these things I speak. And we cannot treat it lightly that the very word of God has spoken to us in the words of his son, of his apostles, and of his prophets. One writer of the gospel said, But in these last days he's spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed, the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. And again, therefore also the wisdom of God said, I will send them prophets and apostles, some of whom they will kill and persecute. It's through his word and by his spirit we now taste and can taste unspeakable joy. Paul calls it the joy of the Holy Spirit when he calls upon us not just to imitate Jesus' sufferings, but his joy of them and in them. When you become imitators of us and of the Lord, you will receive the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, Paul wrote in 1 Thessalonians. And in this joy of the Spirit, we can now rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. That's what Peter said, verse 8. So, what fullness will we enjoy in the life to come? What will we hear at that climactic moment when we come to the end of this life and pass over into the next? How might the man of joy, deeper than all sorrows, welcome his own into his presence? What might he say to those to whom he pledged to give his own joy and expand our capacity to enjoy his father with his own son's delight. And he tells us twice what it could be. Matthew 25, 21, 23. Enter into the joy of your master. Let's pray. Our Father and God, we do thank you for your word. 
We thank you for the apostles and the prophets and your son himself, Lord, who tells us that we can possess unspeakable joy. And it starts, Lord, with first you, recognizing you as God's holy son who came down and died for our sins, for our misgressions. And that, Lord, through his death, we can know God the Father. And when we know God the Father, Lord, we can have this deep and unspeakable joy. I pray, Lord, that this Christmas, this time where we celebrate the birth of Christ, that if there's anyone that does not know unspeakable joy, that through this season and through the preaching of your word, they might be able to obtain it. And it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.